Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of a lot of people struggling with shame um, at the moment. That seems to be this uh, this big thing that I'm I'm hearing. So I think what's really important on how to deal with that is really learning how to find compassion, learning how to nurture that little girl, that little boy inside you and learning to speak to them in a way that is kind and gentle um, and learn how to give that little boy or that little girl what it is that they need. So that could just be simply checking in daily, okay, what is it I need today? Or when you're really triggered and you're having these intense feelings and you just feel like you want to, you know, throw a tantrum or you just can't take enough, take any more of it, it's, okay, how do I nurture you? <clears throat> and, and just really think about those coping skills and how you can, how can you give that, that little person in you their power back? How can you help them reclaim their power so they're not feeling fragile, so they're not feeling helpless and alone anymore? Um, and really, really open up to exploring what that is for them or for you um, because it's it can be a really fun adventure. And I think if we look at it with childlike eyes and with the lightness and with the love, we can have a really fun time on this journey. It doesn't have to be horrible and self-loathing. It can be very beautiful. It can be a beautiful process. So my message is be kind, be gentle, be loving with yourself. Do you need encouragement to turn tragedies into your own triumphant life story? If so, this podcast is for you. Listen to powerful guests who have persevered through challenges so you can gain strength to build your championship life. The host of Professor of Perseverance Podcast, Dr. James Perdue. Come on again, uh, come, on, come on again, come on in again. Hey, it's that time to get some motivation, inspiration, encouragement, and hope, knowing that when we go through a struggle, we go through some tragedy, that we can have a good life. You know, again, it may not be as perfect as others, but we still have a better life than what we may have thought as we were traveling through that storm. Today, our guest, she's going to share her story of sexual assault, what happened to her and how she got through it and how she wants to help other people. She wants people to know that they need to reclaim power after sexual assault. Welcome to the show, Renee Marie Simpson. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. And it's a little early over where you're at. Uh, you're, you're a day ahead of us over in Sydney. And so I appreciate you uh I don't know if you're getting up any earlier, but uh, um, uh, I'm glad you're here. And so also, uh, before we get going, uh, she's the author of I Want to Go Home, again, Reclaiming Power After Sexual Assault. So, all right, Renee, I'm sorry you went through all this. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, sorry for all that. Um, not to say it made you any better person in the long run or anything, but... For you to take your story and share it, be open, authentic, because you know you, you. I'm sure you know as well as a, there's a lot of people that's going to hide this, try to forget about it, try to move on, and it may not be as healthy for them to do that. Uh, some people they probably do all right and move, but there's a lot of people that's hiding it, feeling guilty the whole time, whatever else, and. You know, second guessing if it was their fault to do anything, you know how it is. And so I'm glad you're opening it up and sharing to let these other people know that they have a voice and they need to step up to help someone else in the future. And other than that, I mean, I'll, I'm going to listen to your story and I'll ask questions as we go along. But this is your platform. You take off where you see fit and uh, we'll go from here. Thank you. And yes, everything you said is exactly how um, a lot of what survivors sit with every day. Um, in my book, I talk about all of the internal struggles that 
we as survivors experience or many survivors can relate to um, before we even begin to think about telling our stories. Um, so I'll, I might just introduce my book and my story to start off with and then we can open up the conversation a bit more. Uh, so I wrote this book, um, I started to write this book 10 years ago when I went on a sailing adventure when I was 22 and I was on my gap year and, you know, having a really great time on the surface level, I think, you know, people looking in from the outside would say, oh, my goodness, she's like living her dream, she's travelling the world, having a great time, partying, um, you know, going to all the cool festivals. Uh, but inside I was really struggling and so I wrote this book based on my journal entries about this sailing trip. So I was living in Gibraltar and I was invited to sail a boat back. It was a delivery back to Phuket and it was going to take three months and I'd never sailed a day in my life and I just thought I want to go home. Why not? This would be a great adventure to get there. Um, and so I took a girlfriend and I had another mate that came on board with me Um but it was. I just love it when you say, "I had another mate." I had another mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, here in America yeah. would be here in America. Hey, uh, you took another friend with us, or you've got to you've yeah. got to read the book. You'll love all the Aussie jargon throughout. Then I know. Um, I'm, I'm going to give me a copy of it. Yeah, you know. So, you'll love uh, it. So uh, another mate, and, and we so, put a uh, shrimp on the Barbie. Okay, go ahead. We don't say that. That's such uh, a, you're not the you're not no, the first person. You're not the first person to tell me that I've interviewed other people in Australia and Sydney. And uh, yeah, you're not the first one to tell me we do not say shrimp on the Barbie. No, no, no. That's definitely a media thing. So on this boat, on this sailing adventure, we ran into every challenge you could possibly imagine or even not imagine. Like some of the things you just, you can't even imagine, like you can't even think it up. So for example, we had mechanical failures that were life-threatening almost weekly. Uh, we had we ran into a Category 5 cyclone, which was crazy. Uh, we starved. We didn't have food for three days on a couple of legs there. Um, we had plagues of locusts, like insects and birds and oh, wow. um, just lots of crazy things that happened. And I also um, had problems with the skipper the whole way. He... I didn't find out till the end that he was actually on methadone and was quite a very unhappy man um, in his own pain um, and completely despised me. So I had to sort of navigate that the whole time. I also um, fell in love on the boat with a really beautiful guy and it's also this really lovely uh, romance that sort of happens and blossoms out there. So what I found out there and navigating all these challenges was that I couldn't hide. I couldn't run away from myself. I had no distractions. It was a sober boat. Um, all my usual vices weren't there for me to cling on to or to numb out or whatever. Um, and there's a lot of stillness, a lot of quiet uh, out there as well where you have a lot of time to think and reflect and yeah, you can't run away from the things that perhaps you could usually run away from with your vices if you're living your everyday life. So I had to, all this stuff was sort of challenging me in this, you know, my my truth, my, like a secret, I guess, I was burying or something that was sort of choking me was, um, you know, the truth was that I was raped a week before I flew out of my gap year by my best friend's boyfriend. And oh, okay, okay, so... You were, you were raped to sexual assault a week before you took out this adventure. Absolutely, yes. Okay, okay. All right, wow. That's that's uh, that's huge in itself, you know, that short of a time frame and you kind of feel like you can move on in life and you really hadn't had time to deal with everything. Exactly. Yeah, okay, and all right, go ahead. From that, I had to also then, I started to sort of, the way I dealt with that, was also I had to think about what happened to me when I was also a young girl because I was also sexually abused when I was six. And I did yeah. report when I was eight when I had the language to um, tell my mom about what had happened to me. Um, so I went to the police and I had this experience and I was told 
you know, it was my, my word against this man's and um, and so pretty much they were saying the justice system doesn't hold survivors very well in a very supportive way. And so mm-hmm. being so young, they advised me to not push through with my with the um, the legal stuff. Allegations. Yeah, so I dropped it. And it was also bringing a lot up for my mother who had her own childhood experiences. And okay. none of us want to hurt our parents, so I sort of just wanted to take care of her mostly. So I did drop it. And so this, this also then formed my response to what happened to me as a young woman. So um, I did try to pretend it didn't happen. I, you know, I was in my room crying, blaming myself, like you mentioned. What did I do wrong? Was I too nice? Was I, what did I do to lead him on? Did I drink too much? That was a big one. I shouldn't have taken those drugs. That was a big one because um, I tried ecstasy. And, you know, I really felt like, did I ask for this? Like what could I have done to make, you know, maybe I shouldn't have been out at these parties Maybe it's those friends. Maybe that. Maybe I should never have been friends with these people. Like you, definitely internalize everything, and then you mm-hmm. start to think: if I do tell someone, how will I be judged? What will that make me look like? If I do go through, um, you know, the legal system, how are they going to portray me? What is if it going to be the, the media? Is it going yeah, to be, be the same as when I tried? You know, years ago uh, that they oh, ignored and, me. And as and, a young woman, would it be, would it be worse? Being absolutely, a young woman, absolutely. Of being a minor, you know, they a wouldn't child. talk to you. Yeah, when you're a minor, they wouldn't talk to you like they would as an adult. And so would it be worse? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Absolutely. So you start thinking about the labels that, you know, society might put on you. What are the long-term impacts on your image? Um, the way that people might respect you, you know? Is that going to have, if it does hit the media, you know, am I going to have problems getting jobs? What is this? You know, there's a lot to it. How's my family going to respond? How are my friends going to respond? How are my friends who are friends with this person going to respond? You know, am I going mm-hmm. to be further? Like, am I going to have, um, you know, I was really afraid of being, maybe being threatened by his friends and what the, what's mm-hmm. that going to look like? So there is so oh, much. Oh, yeah, I mean, I can, I can even, I can even, Go a little bit further thinking, you know, if you did this, would his friends try to retaliate to make things even worse or come out to rape me as well? You know, uh, yeah, I, I see a whole mess of, yeah, possibility of what could happen. That's right. It's a really dark rabbit hole when you jump down it. And so these are, you know, and when I hear about, you know, survivors just coming forward after, you know, 30 years and telling their stories now or seeking justice after a long a long time, we have to really understand that this is what goes on in our minds while we hold back, why we don't speak up, why we don't tell our stories, why we don't come forward because there's so much to process and there are so many challenges, barriers to overcome first in our heads to find that bravery to then say, no, I am. what happened to me wasn't my fault. What happened to me was wrong and I am the victim and this person is to blame and blame needs to be placed where it damn well should be and mm-hmm. that is on the person who acted that way, you know. So for me... I went through this sort of internal battle and it was, for me, it was quite symbolic being on the boat and um, and just all this chaos that was being thrown at me. And I sort of used that quite poetically as a metaphor throughout the book around um, the isolation that you feel. You know, you're in the middle of the sea and you, you're all these storms are being thrown at you, but there's also when you find when you start to reclaim your power and you build your confidence up and you step outside of your comfort zone, you know, you start to grow and you start to hold yourself taller and you start to be able to accept what happened to you was wrong and and maybe forgive how you've been coping with it. Um, And then you start to find the courage to talk about what happened to you. 
And so for me, eventually I came forward and told my parents what had happened to me. And it takes so much courage. It takes so much bravery. And we need to honour that too when survivors do come forward, that we're not questioning them, what did you do, how did this happen? It needs to be a more of a supportive, encouraging space where we're saying, like you said, I'm so sorry this has happened to you. You know, what can I do to support you? You are so brave for coming forward and telling me, thank you so much for trusting me with this. What would you like to do? You know, and not forcing people to do anything with their story. It's just allowing them to have a safe space to process it instead of shutting it down because it's too uncomfortable for us to hear. Do you think it's uh, part of the, uh, again, you mentioned, uh, just say this word per se, but a lot of things you said, it's the stigma that would be attached to being a rape survivor. And again, the people that don't understand questioning, denying, you're, you know, you deserved it. You, you know, if you wouldn't have done, you know, they're done the blame game. If you wouldn't have done the drugs, you wouldn't have done the, uh, how do you know that you didn't say yes or no if you were drug out or alcohol or drunk? You know, so you, you, these people you just can't listen to. They, they don't know right from wrong anyway. And so it's the other people that you need to trust is your closest friends. Maybe not want to tell every friend, but you know, as well as I do, the word's going to get out once you start opening up. And so yeah, I think a lot of it is, and again, not just sexual assault, but a lot of people have low self-esteem and self-confidence and, and things. And it's come from whatever's happened to them in their life that caused it. But again, they're worried about the stigma that's attached to it is why they don't open up. Yes, I agree. And you're absolutely right about the long-term impacts. You know, there is definitely mental, social, psychological, spiritual, financial, physical impacts that happen um, that are long-lasting impacts after sexual assault. It doesn't just end at what happened on that night. It just oh, goes yeah. away oh, yeah. or, or whatever happened. It doesn't go away. It, you don't outgrow it. It is something you learn to live with and you learn to build yourself up from because you're absolutely right. It takes away that self-worth. It takes away your confidence um, because you said it, it ultimately breaks down your sense of trust with yourself mm -hmm. um, and Definitely trust in others. the world. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Trust yeah. in relationships, trust in authority figures. It's huge. Trust in the media. You know, if you have a bad experience also telling someone, you might you might not trust your family, you, you might not trust to ask for help. That's huge. So think about that for a minute and, like, and imagine how that then impacts on you long-term. It, it really does impede on every, every facet of your life, you know? Yeah. And then we oh, have, oh, you yeah, know, oh, and then yeah, how yeah. do we cope with it? You know, everyone copes with things differently. Do we cope with it in a healthy way? Do we cope with it in an unhealthy way? And that happens. That, that happens both ways. Yes, absolutely. And some, I'm still some, working some people, on that. So, some people are so guilty that it's their fault and everything that they just can they just keep jumping back into it. You know, but not thinking, even that. Not even that. You might have made peace with what happened to you, mm -hmm. but then we're so used to maybe these numbing, numbing our emotions down. Mm -hmm. So it might have started there and we've learnt to disconnect from our bodies because of our abusive experiences. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right? But then mm -hmm. think about it and then every stressor that happens in life, your day-to-day -day stresses, okay, well, that worked for me that time. I'm going to do that again and just numb that, numb it. And let me ask so, you uh, this question here that um, you're on the voyage, you're doing the sailing thing, and you said it was about a week before your sexual assault. And so you said you found a little romantic uh, love uh, uh, love guy on the phone. Not to say y'all did anything, I'm not saying that. But you fell in love or failed an infatuation, whatnot. Okay. Now, when things are going wrong on the ship, you know, the, you know, 
the uh, uh, break uh, breaking down, um, the cyclone, everything. Are you afraid to open up to this friend? To and you said another girlfriend went with you and stuff, and another mate. Uh, and of course, again, you're a week from your sexual assault. Are you afraid to open up about anything? Uh, I don't know. I mean, do you think this could be my death day with the way the boat's acting up? Uh, do you want to clear anything air? Do you even think like that? No, that's not how I felt at all. I felt, um, yes, there was that fragility, definitely, throughout the whole thing. And I felt I kind of cling to him in a sense because he was quite um, experienced as a skipper and mm -hmm. he became my hero, you know. Uh, he was a bit of a MacGyver out there. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, MacGyver, that's a nice show. I yeah. like that. <laughs> I like MacGyver. Uh, Give me a toothpick and a pack of uh, gum, and we'll exactly. pick this lock here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And go if ahead. you're only as old as us, you'd, you would, yeah, you would know what MacGyver is. Yeah, um, right. But yeah, so uh, he became, I guess, yeah, a bit of a hero in my eyes, and I kind of yeah clung to him in that sense, physically, I think, mm -hmm. but I couldn't, I would say, emotionally, open up or mm -hmm. uh, there was trust there in terms of physical safety um, and support, oh, just the most beautiful emotional support, um, but I still couldn't quite get to a point where I could tell him what had happened to me. It just, it just didn't feel like the right place or the right time or, um, yeah. Yeah, no. okay. All right. Um I'm not sure where to go from here, but I mean, this, this, <laughs> I mean, no, it's it's an amazing story that uh, I don't know if I would have had the courage, and I don't know was it when you left to go on the voyage. Here, I guess I'm having a little issue with, you know, I had the sexual shot a week before. Was it to go on the voyage to get away from that, running from it? Incident. No, so um did you already had that this plan? You already had yeah, this voice so, plan yes. before. Okay, all right. Yes. So that makes that makes a little sense more to me. Because yes. I was thinking, I was thinking maybe you had sexual assault and you said uh some people going, Hey, we're going for a three-month voice. I'm on there with you, I'm getting out of here. Uh no, no you already had that plan. Okay. So that yes. makes a little more sense. And I me. think that was part of why the perpetrator chose that time because he Knowing knew you I were was going. leaving in a week. Yeah, okay, okay. That makes more um, sense on that for me, mm, yes. Okay. Yeah, and so I actually spent um, quite some time, like, living in London, travelling around uh, Europe and Asia first, and then I ended up living in Gibraltar towards the end. So I'd actually been away. I think it was I ended up being away for a year and a half in total. So mm -hmm. in the end it felt like I was running the whole time you know, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. trying to keep my head above water, lots of drinking, lots of numbing, mm -hmm. um, you know, lots of relationships as well, you know, like finding myself just sort of sleeping around a bit um, yeah. but also just normalising all of that because you just think, oh, well, everyone's doing it. We're overseas. We're travelling, having a great time. You know, no one knows yeah. me. Yes. But, you know, in reflection, it's certainly not how I would deal with things now. And in reflection, I can I can I can see that young girl and, and what she was trying to do, like she was trying to escape in 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 those things. That's that's um, what I was thinking. And again, when mm -hmm. I, I didn't know that you'd already planned the voyage, so I was mm -hmm. thinking you were trying to escape that incident by going and doing this. That's what I was thinking. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I talk about quite a lot in the book is that, you know, we're all trying to escape something sometimes. And that we all is, have that is true. Yeah, and we all have our different ways of doing that. Uh, so I really encourage, the message in the book is really about encouraging people to learn how to dance with their, dance with their demons, dance with their monsters and um, learn how to face these truths head on and, um, and learn to talk about them because, there's so much healing that comes with, I'm actually working on an online course at the moment around writing to heal because I found a lot of, um, just from writing my story, a lot of 
a lot of really great things came from that, you know. So um, I had a lot of trouble getting pregnant um, for a few years. And when I started to write my story, I felt pregnant and it was like this miracle. And I don't know if you've heard much about womb healing, but there's a bit of, there's a bit of like, um, there's a bit of science and stuff around that. And Mm -hmm. so I honestly do believe writing about my story, rewriting my story too, to be the hero, the heroine in my story and taking back my power through writing my story and finding and really thinking and reflecting, how did I do that? Going going from victim, yeah, going from victim to hero uh, in your own writing. I'm I'm a big believer. People ought to be writing something. You have to go through whatever. And I'm a big believer. They should. The way it is now, it's easy to self-publish. You know, you don't have to look to get a million sales. If you just want to do the book just for you and pass it down to your kids and let them pass it down to their kid, just to see how strong you are for what you've been through. And Absolutely. healing, I mean, writing is a great form of therapy and healing. It, Absolutely. It, you get to open up on paper on maybe some things you weren't really thinking. It just all of a sudden just came out writing. And then you go back and think, wow, I wasn't really thinking that or yeah, conscious about that. You know, it and, just and subconscious takes around. over. Yes. And sometimes we carry around these victim stories. Like I listen to a lot of people like in my family or I just even people that I've met in my work and young people I've worked with. And yeah, you hear a victim story sometimes. And but it's yeah, when we work, rewrite our story and work with our story that we become, that we change it up and we become the hero of our stories and reflect on the strengths that got us through those hard times that something changes in us and we find our resilience and we learn how to show up differently in our life and and to move forward with our lives in a, in a, in a more powerful way. So I sort of started to reflect after I published my book on my process of writing and, um, and so I've sort of come up with a really nice, neat process now that I want to take other people through. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just working on it at the moment. It's almost finished. Yeah. But... Um, yeah. To help them. But it's it's even because I think writing a book is pretty huge, right? It does take a lot oh, of yeah. time. Yeah. Um, how many how many people talk about writing and never get to it? Oh it, for it's, me, it's, ten years. It, it ten is, years it took me. I I don't you you're a little baby with ten years. It took me twelve to write my first one. And so I tell people, I said, you know how you upgrade your computers? And I said, if I would have lost my manuscript and a computer Changed somewhere, I would have never started all over. So it's a miracle in itself that that manuscript didn't get lost or destroyed while I'm going from computer to computer to computer in 12 years because I would have never Absolutely. started over. And so, uh, but uh, but uh, I understand that you want to help people with the writing and the process stuff. But uh, you don't have to you don't have to get it uh, published if you just write it and then just hole punch it and then want to pass down. Family to family members, and you know, as you're getting older and gone, and great grandkids reading your story again, it doesn't have to necessarily be published, just something for them to know. Because I wish that would a uh, technology I wish was 40 years ago as great as it is today, because I would have loved to get the information from my grandparents on, on mm-hmm. how they grew up and some of their stories, and all this stuff's too. gone, all this stuff's gone now. And so I, I wish we'd had to take, of course, our technology 40 years ago was the old cassette tape, push the record button. And <laughs> so, but I didn't even do that because I was too young to even think about anything like that. So, and I think it's important to that we don't have to write about our whole lives. You know, I encourage in my process to yes. pick a chapter of your life and it can be as short or as long as you like. You know, as long as you follow this process, it can be a book, it could be. 10 pages, it could be one page, whatever. But it's about just putting your story down and what is your message that you want to share? Like you said, what is your legacy that you might want to pass down to your family, friends? You know, what do you want people to know about how you lived and what did you conquer? And, um, yeah, what wisdom do you want to pass down that other people can learn from? You know, the uh, Superman symbols on his chest and everything, uh, I'm waiting for you to... Pull your jacket open and let me see your Superman symbol because you, you, you're, you're, 
you're remarkable. You, you're amazing for what you've been through and how much you have accomplished. Again, looking at the young you, you would do things a little different, but but then the young you is not mature and more wiser than mm. you are today. And so it's mm. easy to say, if I could do this again, I would, well, you know, you weren't mentally, emotionally ready for what you are today. And so. Oh, and, and you know what? I'm still definitely not perfect. I still have bad days where I lose my shit and, you know, um, we're all a work in progress. And I think that's what really is important. I see, I watch a lot of different, listen to different podcasts and follow different people. And I think there's that portrayal of, you know, that we have to be this full, this, this idea of fully healed. I just can't stand it because I just don't believe in that at all. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe in being perfect. I think that the best we can do is keep trying and never giving up and just keep working on ourselves to show up better than we did yesterday, you know. And if we have a bad day, that's cool. Get back up, try again, and just keep practising all those healthy coping skills. And, look, yeah, we don't get it right every day, and that's okay. Forgive yourself. Oh, yeah. Now let's go back a little bit here. When did you start... Uh, let's go and say healing yourself when you started working on yourself to get past what had finally happened. You, you know, you said you were a year and a half. You were just pretty much a free for all. So uh, when did you start going? I got to, I got, I got to start getting my shit straight here. And to do mm. that, I've got to face what happened and, and emotionally as much as um, spiritually, mm. you know, uh, mentally, uh, physically, it's already happened, gone by. But you know, so when when do you think that you finally said it's 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 time to it's time to start healing and moving on? Mm, good question. Um, it took quite a few years for me, to be honest. Um, so yeah, it's one thing to start telling your story. It's another thing to start, yeah, the the healing of that. So uh, for me, it took another trauma. I came home from that trip still quite broken, you know, with PTSD mm-hmm. symptoms from being oh, through yes. that. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> of all that, yes. Yeah, and then I chose to run away again. I went back and lived in Ireland. Okay. Um, and then my brother died and he was 16. I was 23 at this point. Oh, wow. So Young. Uh, Young. And I was just the worst experience of my life. Oh, yes. Um, as anyone who's lost a young person in their family or a friend. So, or yeah, a I mate. came home. It was hell. hell. Yeah, I would say, or a mate. Yeah, or a mate. You know, there you go. So, I was yeah. waiting for you to say mate. So, all right. Yeah, so I came home and that was a complete and utter destruction because then I then I sort of took on this no one's going to love me like he did and I held that for quite a lot of time mm-hmm. and so then it was sort of I became more self-destructive with that okay um my drinking increased you know um unhealthy relationships I had I'd had healthy relationships previously like um but chose unhealthy relationships uh because I felt like well, that'll do. He's, I'm broken now and no one else is going to love me. He's going to want me. He's like, a, you know, a healthy person. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm still healing a lot of that, to be honest. So I started to, I guess my life had to sort of get really horrible, you know, um, losing friends, um, you know, not showing up at work, uh, I was studying at the time. I was still doing really well. I've always done really well academically and um, in my career. Um, it's sort of one area that I've never let, I've never allowed it to impact on that. Sort of the, the, the only place that really gives me, at the beginning was the only place that gave me self-worth. So I've always kept that quite safe and in a safe distance but then spiritually, like you mentioned, mentally, uh, it was it was probably some friends that said, you're going down a dark path, you know, we okay. are really worried about you. And, you know, 
I ended up, I, I was hospitalised once because I had injured myself after um, drinking too much and that was a huge wake-up call. I needed stitches underneath my eye because I fell into a bush. Um, how the shame and the embarrassment, I was on suicide watch because of that because um, I'd done that quite publicly where I sort of lost mm -hmm. it. So I ended up um, just realising I needed to move away. So I ended up moving to Brisbane, um, which is about 10 hours away from uh, my hometown because I felt like I was living in this fishbowl down here and everyone knew Renee's brother had died and she's a mess and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. So I just packed up, moved up there, no one knew me started fresh and that's where I rebuilt myself and I, I went and did a lot of hiking. I've always found a lot of healing in nature. Um, oh, I, love, I love Mother Nature. Oh, it's the best. So um, spent a lot of time with her. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I jumped into my career and did, you know, some volunteering, got into sort of um, doing art therapy for people, uh, started to do um work as a youth worker and then I got into school counsel, became a school counsellor um, and I think it was from giving back and helping others and walking beside them and being the person that I needed during my hard times um, was healing, you know, mm -hmm. sitting with other people's pain and, and being there for them, giving back. I really think there's something, yeah, well, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of research in that actually around giving back is so therapeutic like in itself. Oh, and I've said multiple times that, uh, and listeners, if you're listening, don't yell at me, but I say multiple times that um, uh, one reason we're on this big ball of dirt is to help the next person. You know, we can't help everybody, but we can help somebody. And so, you know, I, I'm a big believer, and there's so much benefits when we give of ourselves to help someone. And not that we have to look for a blessing coming back or anything, but usually mm. something comes back when you help now it may not come back yes. tomorrow it may be 40 years from now you know mm -hmm. and if you look and think back you see you know i did such and such 40 years ago and here it is coming to me you know if you look back and thought of it like that so yes. a lot of people just a lot of people think just coincidence but my friend bird baggett says there's no such thing as coincidence that's god being anonymous is what he says yeah i definitely so. believe that i've had some really beautiful karma in my life and i cannot put it down to anything but how much I've given, honestly. Um, yeah, so the more you give, I absolutely believe it comes back tenfold for sure. Now, uh, two questions here. I got to know. Uh, got to know about your your uh, skipper and your romance and everything. Not that uh, not the romance detail, but is he still in your life? Do you talk to him, or did you marry him, or anything? Uh, no. Uh, Okay. I wish I could say it was that easy, but unfortunately life takes many turns. Um, no. So I believe he's married with children. I haven't spoken to him for a very, very long time. Um, I can't even remember the last time we spoke, but I know I got permission from all the other crew members um, to publish. Um, unfortunately, the skipper who I had the issues with on the boat has passed. Um was found next to his boat in Thailand, actually. Uh, not sure. No one really knows what exactly happened, so that's mm -hmm. un unfortunate and mm -hmm. sad. Um, uh, but, yeah, no, I haven't spoken to to him, and I believe he just wants to move on with his life. So, um, And that's fine. That's fine. Everyone's in different stages. Yeah, it, it was, yeah, it was a, a season that uh, you needed. Uh, that's right. At that time for which you experienced and – you needed the good aspect of life and romance or whatnot. Again, not saying what anything happened, but you know, uh, but yeah, you needed it. And then it was time to, like I tell people in my book, Vicky, I'm still in love with you, Vicky. Vicky, if you ever catch me on the podcast, <laughs> Vicky, it's when I was in the hospital. I got my neck broke. I don't know how much you know, but I got my neck broke playing football and I'm in a wheelchair. And so it had this nurse, Vicky. Whoa, me and Vicky, we had a little hospital romance while I was, oh. uh, could, couldn't move. And uh, then I was time for me to go to a rehab. She stayed back in Nashville, Tennessee, where she belonged. I was in rehab. And then eventually lost contact and never talked since then. But again, it was what I needed during mm. those three months was her 
companion uh, yes. for me. And so she it was just, your angel. it was it, a, a yes. And so, Vicki, if you ever hear, ever catch this podcast, I'm telling you, Vicki, you need to get a hold of me. I still love you. All right. So, uh, um, yeah, yeah, well, I think, you know, he gave me a lot of support at the beginning when I started writing. And he was like, yes, write this story, write this story. And, you know, and it's been 10, you know, I think it's been so 12 you years eventually, now. So you eventually opened up to him about what it I didn't. He doesn't, he doesn't know because he just knows about me writing about the, um, the travel adventure. Okay. And since only in the last couple of years I have, I've started to write about the sexual assault within that story. So, no, he wouldn't know. Okay. And mm. the other question is, you can throw this one out the window and not ask her anything. And I've had other women sexual survivors, assault survivors, and I've never really asked this, but I guess maybe I feel more comfortable with you. Um, when you get into a romantic situation that you're dearly love with and everything, how do you not revert back? Think about that mm. uh, assault when you're getting romantic. Okay. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, and how, I mean, how do you do you block it out? Does it come? Does it never have come to you? Your thought because you love this one so much, it's totally different than the assault. I mean, I, 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 I get. I've never asked any other one, but I, I don't know. Maybe I feel more comfortable with you to ask it's that. A good, it's and if a good you question. don't, and, and if you don't want to answer it, I, I respect it. I'm going to answer this on behalf of um, all survivors. So all of us um, have different experiences with our triggers, and that's what that's mm -hmm. called. Um, we have we can have flashbacks. Some don't have any. Some have them often. Some have them sometimes. It depends on, like you mentioned, your partner. Um, it depends on how much you, you might feel trust. It depends on how safe you feel. Um, it depends on the act itself. It could depend mm -hmm. on the moment. It could depend on how relaxed you are. Um, there's so many, there's so many layers to that. Yeah. And yeah. I know personally for me, I do have flashbacks. I do have, there are oh, certain I, I believe, acts I believe that, that I feel uncomfortable I, I, with. I believe that in most of them that they do at least have flashbacks. I, I definitely believe that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and not not every time, but definitely yeah. sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it depends. And sometimes you you know, there's different coping skills you might use. Everyone has different things because triggers come from lots. You know, it could come from smells. It can come from a feeling oh, yeah. of helplessness. It could come from what position you're in. You know, there's so much to it. So um, yeah, for me, definitely, I definitely still have um, moments and. But I know how to manage them. I'll tell myself I'm safe, you know, and I'm with someone that I love and I mm -hmm. trust, and um, and no, you know, no one's hurting me here, and yeah. I'm not being taken advantage of, and I'm giving consent. That's a really big one. Mm -hmm. um, and so I can move forward, and it's in my head, you know. My partner's not aware of it, and I don't talk about it. Um, I do believe. Moving, I think what's really important is having that conversation with your partner. You know, I, I was going to ask that: uh, mm. Do women should they? And I guess it's it, like you said, it's totally up to the woman if she wants to divulge any of that with their Absolutely. partner. You know, it's, it's them. But yeah, I was wondering: Should you open up again? It's individually. To see, it's absolutely everyone. No right or, there's no right or wrong answer there. Well, yeah, you know, you could be, you know, dating and, you know, um, you might not want to tell every sexual partner you have your yeah. story and that's understandable. So mm -hmm. I think it's just about finding a way of having a conversation around um, what makes you feel safe, uh, where are your boundaries um, and making sure the other person is just aware of, of those things. Um, mm, yeah. Yeah, and knowing and knowing and feeling comfortable to say, I'm not comfortable with that, mm -hmm. and and um, and I think that's the best way to sort of move forward. I think in a nice, um, in a healthy, committed relationship, I do think it's important to have a conversation around your trauma because I do believe 
your partner's able to hold you in a more supportive way if they are aware of, um, you know, what's happened to you and, yeah, they can sort of be a bit more just, I think, just more supportive, I think, you know. Yeah, mm. yeah I can see where maybe maybe not uh, someone you may be dating and then you're not going to see to each other again in three weeks, uh, but if it's somebody you think will be a long-term, maybe I think, that's just me personally. I think you should open up just for them. Yeah, to know. I, I think because that way if, uh, the way if you start withdrawing or whatever or something, mm. they, don't, they don't know it's them, their fault. Exactly. And they could take that as a rejection or personal. It can open up relationship problems. They might wonder, why don't you want to do these things that I want to do? And is it about me or what's wrong with yeah. you? And then, you know, and then you start taking that shame on as well. So I think if we can find that courage and that bravery to have those challenging conversations to say, this is why I'm not comfortable with A, B, C, D, and this is mm -hmm. what I need in a sexual relationship to make me feel safe. Can you give that to me? And then um, maybe we can look at what, what is it you need from me and how can we meet in the middle and that we both have our needs met and have a good time and move on with our relationship. Yes. Um now, as we're finishing up here, uh, I'm telling you, you need to get a tattoo on your arm or something with the Superman emblem with the S there, and S just meaning survivor. Uh, but yeah, you need to, you need to do. You're Absolutely. you're incredible. You're incredible. So if you're like, uh, go ahead and tell people how they can find your website, find you socially, uh, get your book. Yes. So please follow me on my socials. Um, you can find me, uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, Renee Marie, M-A-R-I-E, Simpson, author. Uh, that's my handle. And you can find me on my website, ReneeMarieSimpson.com. Uh, you can sign up for a monthly, uh, I guess, a love letter where I share different tips um, on how you can reclaim your power after trauma. Uh, you can also purchase my book um, from that website too, or you can just jump straight onto Amazon or Book Depository or Barnes and Noble, any major um, online uh, bookstore, and publish it there. I had another I'll purchase it there, not publish it there. Purchase it there. There you go. <laughs> um, you had another. Um woman to come in telling her sexual assault story and her book title is, is and the story is, you know, not exactly like yours and everybody's unique, but she was at a party. Uh, a, actually a drug was slipped into her drink. She thinks, and she was at the house and she woke up with the guy on her in the garage. And the mm. name of her book is the girl in the garage. And mm. it's how, it's how she, uh, and her name is Sharon Hughes. So, uh, uh, she's just like you, strong woman, and I'm glad that I've got to meet both of you and meet not not just you, all the others with their strong stories. But yeah, y'all are incredibly amazing people, and I'm glad that our paths have crossed. Again, I'm sorry what's happened, but I'm mm -hmm. glad that you're opening up to help the next victim, whether it's tomorrow, a hundred years from now. They say it's stuff's on the internet forever, so. Just think, uh, Renee, 100 years from now, someone's going to be going, oh, that's my story, and you're going to help mm -hmm. them out. Thank you. Thank so, you. Um, now, Renee, we know there's people hurting and struggling today. If you could leave us with a powerful message to help them get through today, that would be a blessing. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of, a lot of people struggling with shame um, at the moment. That seems to be this... Uh, this big thing that I'm, I'm hearing. So I think what's really important on how to deal with that is really learning how to find compassion, learning how to nurture that little girl, that little boy inside you and learning to speak to them in a way that is kind and gentle um, and learn how to give that little boy or that little girl what it is that they need so that could just be simply checking in daily, okay, what is it I need today? Or when you're really triggered and you're having these intense feelings and you just feel like you want to, you know, throw a tantrum or you just can't take, enough, take any more of it, it's, okay, how do I nurture you? <clears throat> 
and and just really think about those coping skills and how you can how can you give that that little person in you their power back how can you help them reclaim their power so they're not feeling fragile so they're not feeling helpless and alone anymore um and really really open up to exploring what that is for them or for you um, because it's it can be a really fun adventure and I think if we look at it with childlike eyes and with the lightness and with the love we can have a really fun time on this journey it doesn't have to be horrible and self-loathing it can be very beautiful it can be a beautiful process so my message is be kind, be gentle, be loving with yourself. Amen, sister. You're absolutely correct on everything that you said. So you're right on the spot. So, all right, Renee, I appreciate you being here. It's been an, uh, a remarkable story and adventure and the overcoming, persevering through it all. Again, I encourage you to get a Superman T-shirt. And then next time you go speak somewhere to help out survivors, and then you're wearing your survivor. Don't tell them it's Superman, it's Survivor, okay? And then so I like that's, that. That's that's what I would uh, encourage you to do. So uh, now we're going to start telling everybody to come on about their sexual assault. They need to get a Superman T-shirt, and for the S, it's Survivor. So I might start a shop and um, start making those T-shirts. That sounds amazing. <laughs> There, there you go. I only want 20% for the idea. You can have the rest of it. So, all right, Renee, thank you. And everybody else, hey, thank you for coming in. If you know someone needs a good positive message on hope, on surviving, getting out there, not giving up, persevering in life, this is the episode you need to share with your friends. I'm Dr. James Perdue, the professor of perseverance himself. Thank you for coming in on the Professor of Perseverance podcast. Do something today, tomorrow, something next week that's going to help you persevere past your paralysis. Thanks for listening to the Professor of Perseverance podcast. For motivation, inspiration, and encouragement. For more information, go to Facebook at Professor of Perseverance. Visit the website at ProfessorofPerseverance.com and view the YouTube channel, Dr. James Perdue, Professor of Perseverance.